As a business leader, you know attracting top talent is just the beginning. Real growth happens when you lead yourself and others well. Creating a company culture that attracts, nurtures, and retains the best of all things. We'll teach you how to make an impact through a holistic leadership approach. Reframing success in leadership. This is the Talent Magnet Institute podcast with your host, Mike Sipple Jr. So welcome everyone to this conversation with the Talent Magnet Institute. It's my great honor to introduce you to a longtime friend of mine, Elaine Cease. Elaine is a world-leading executive coach and team coach and runs an organization called Beyond Being, Executive and Leadership Coaching. Elaine was one of the very first individuals that we had on our shortlist to invite to join us as a faculty member at the Talent Magnet Institute. So, Elaine, thank you so much for this time today. Absolutely. Thanks for the invitation. I'm happy to be here with you. And we're excited to have the discussion around possibility thinking. So the title for today's conversation, Possibility Thinking, Reimagining and Resetting Your Business. Right. And now we always say there's no time like the present to have a conversation such as this. Even if our cheese gets moved again over the next couple of months, it gets us want to help each and every one of you attending to strengthen your muscles around this topic to help us build out and add some processes as well as some thoughts and get some mindsets going around some forward-thinking activity. So, Elaine, I've heard you reference in conversations regarding the DSRO model, which I believe is where we're going to spend a great deal of our time today equipping. I understand that model is for is that organizations and specifically leaders should be deploying this mindset and this model right now. Would you help us share a little bit more about the DSRO model? Sure, yeah. Leaders and especially leadership teams, right? So this idea that we're talking about today is reimagining, connecting to possibilities with that phrase in this time, which is oft repeated. As we talked about this, Right, what's possible? Um, how can people be reimagining, thinking a little bit differently than they have previously? And this DSRO model can help guide leaders, leadership teams toward that end. And the D in DSRO is defense. It's what actionable safeguards can people put in place? And thinking about what stages they're in, even, are they in defense mode still based on what's happening, uh, the challenges that are coming up for them, and what can they put in place to build upon as they move forward into this new world? So that's the D. The S is stabilize, and that's basically the best offense is based on the best defense. My basketball coach in college used to yell at me to get a little closer to my opponent when I was on defense. And I always thought, well, I'm about as close as I can be right now. But how good is our defense so that we can finally get to the offense, which is what the O is. So defense stabilized really requires over-the-top communication with your employees as leaders to engage internally. Also, communicating externally. So normally 
we might be communicating a certain way that feels good to, for us and it's part of habit, but leaders and leadership teams especially need to ramp that up like nobody's business right now. And even today, simply asking how their employees are, which I'm sure many of the folks are spending time on, checking in with their folks. So defense, stabilize. When you've kind of gotten those two fundamental places, you can start to think about the R, which is reset. Okay, so where are we now? Where do we want to go? What does it look like for us? Who's on my team? Who's on the bus? Who's in what seat? Etc. So these are really important questions. And I'm hoping that this very simple four letters will help leaders and teams think differently than they have previously. And also, by the time we get to reset, we're now at choice. And so there's more control, there should be less uncertainty. And the biggest thing in the reset space is experimenting. What's new, what we can try, little baby steps, if you will, to push past discomfort that many times we'll experience in this process, and especially right now. So I would say the two biggest things at Reset are experimenting and thinking about what we need in order to move to action, what tools we need, who needs to be on the team, and what do they need to be doing. And then by the time we get to offense, it's really freedom to choose and um, move forward. And actually, my, I can um, share my screen just to show a little bit more about what I'm talking about, if that's okay. Yeah. Well, actually, I think, Mike, we're going to send this out as a handout to folks. Yes, we are. But here's kind of what, it, what are the pivots that leaders and teams need to be making right now. So starting with defense, stabilizing again, resetting, and then thinking about what does offense look like for you? And really even on your, your handout that you'll be getting from Mike and team is thinking about what are your top growth edges? And that's not only for leaders and folks on the leadership team, but for everybody in the organization. What are those specific growth edges and how can you move toward those? So anyway, I just wanted to share that so that they could at least see it rather than me just talking about it. Yeah, that's great. Thank you, Elaine. And yes, we'll be sending out the handout with this as well. Our belief right now is there are many organizations still in this defending section, right? We're six weeks into this. If you're a global organization, I mean, we started feeling our global customers feel this about 60 days before, maybe 45 yep. days before. And uh, I was just earlier this week on the phone with leaders on Monday night from Australia, a leader in the morning on Tuesday from Switzerland, the afternoon in, from Germany. And it's amazing how this is a global pandemic that has affected everyone, right? Yep. And the dynamics of where businesses are, it's okay to be in the deep, right? To still be in the defending but what our thought process and having starting to have these conversations is we talked early in some of our earlier webinars on having both the tactical war room team that's real time diving into what's happening now, but right. to peel off and have that innovation team. There are a lot of things that all of us are doing 
either customer facing or directly for our organizations that we may never change again. We may keep this as our future and there might be some things that we want to get back to that's still going to hold us back from achieving our greatest goals and objectives. But exactly. Elaine, as you look at these phases, what are you hearing from organizations and where they are the most right now? I think it's so different for every group. I think people are starting to move a little bit away from defense mode into stabilized mode. Matter of fact, I had a coaching call this morning with somebody in a group who is more in stabilized. It's kind of what is our new normal and what does that mean for us? How are we keeping people engaged while they're not here in the workplace? But there are also some who are starting to get into reset mode by virtue of the decisions they've made for their workforce right now, the decisions they've made to start actually focusing on other areas of opportunity. So I haven't really, I'm not working with anybody who's in full-on offense yet, probably mostly between stabilize and resetting. Yeah, it's exciting to see this many people in the reset and even some in offense mode. Yeah, yeah, absolutely it is. So in terms of courageous leadership, as you look at these items, we know that today leaders, the way we lead today and the way we make people feel today will be what's felt for decades to come, right? Yeah. There's anxiousness, there's anxieties, and there's also our responsibility as leaders to bring confidence to the team that here is what we're learning, here are the challenges we're facing, but that doesn't mean our business is going to turn off. It means we have to pivot and learn and understand how to navigate through this. Are there some learnings or some experiences that you've seen, Elaine, on courageous leaders helping their teams navigate this conversation? Yes, um, thank you. You know, One individual that I'm coaching especially comes up for me, CEO of a business, and I actually am so inspired by his ability and interest in pushing against what he's uncomfortable against. And I would say definitely being more vulnerable because as a leader, being vulnerable, the more vulnerable we are, the more vulnerable our people will be. be. So it really gives them kind of tacit permission to mirror our own behaviors. And that's especially important right now and will be moving forward. I think truth of being honest. I love you guys, maybe, if that's how a leader expresses him or herself from an employee standpoint. And yet, I've got to make some tough decisions right now, and here's how we're going to move forward, whether it's furlough or layoffs, et cetera. So I think it's really tapping into discomfort, um, thinking about what are my growth edges as a leader, and then bringing that out very honestly and with courage, caring, and candor to their employees to keep them abreast of the plans. and also to include them when possible in opportunities and plans of moving forward. Because from an appreciative inquiry standpoint, we know that uh, when we can include the system, 
we are more innovative and have better ideas. Yeah, and it's encouraging to have so many leaders with us during this conversation. You know, I know we've had some thoughts and questions submitted prior to, and to have such an engaging audience. The fact that we have leaders who are thinking about the future is, means that we're starting to get through this original, you know, pandemic and disaster and crisis we've all been managing through. And right. I appreciate folks joining our team with this, our faculty, the Talent Magnet Institute, the group that we've brought together that is basically designed to help companies achieve their greatest good and to help bring out the best of all people. Elaine, I know we've talked a lot about helping navigate great times, but also continually investing even during the difficult times. Right. Reference earlier about a coaching client. So you're finding that organizations are still investing in those coaching relationships? Absolutely. Yeah. As a matter of fact, I mean, it's been so helpful, really, for some of the clients that I'm working with to think about what does that mindset look like right now and going forward? What are the shifts that are necessary? And really having them identify, again, I keep talking about these growth edges, but if we can prioritize where they can make the most important steps for them as a leader themselves, but also for their people. So it's been extremely encouraging for me. And really, I feel so blessed that I'm regularly inspired by the actions that my clients take, experimenting, trying little things that tap into what we talk about as the dopamine opioid cycle. It's really creating these small wins so that they start to build momentum. And maybe I've talked with you about this before, Mike, but I think it's Dave Ramsey, who is a financial Christian planner. I don't know if he's called calls himself a financial planner necessarily, but he and his wife were millionaires when they were in their 20s. And they lost all of their money and they had a lot of people that they had to pay. And instead of starting with the highest interest, right, loan, they actually started with the smallest amount to pay off so that they could gain some momentum. And that is so critical for our brains to work at their best. And so this is what I would advise or invite the folks on the call to do is to think about what is one thing that they could potentially improve upon that they haven't taken the time for because they've been so busy. And then just experiment with a little shift in an environment that's safe or with somebody that's safe. Mm. And they can build momentum and look for even greater challenges. Mm. So let's talk about some of the tools that we can all add to our tool belt is regarding resetting. Okay. Or any guidance to help people kind of navigate through defending and stabilizing? Yes, actually, there's another tool that I use. I'm certified in. It's a decision-making and problem-solving model. And we refer to it as the virtuous cycle of learning. Mm. And it's really all about taking on challenges that are just right for you links back to the dopamine 
opioid cycle, but sometimes is referred as to as the, the Goldilocks zone, getting in that zone. And so that the challenge can be not so simple that it's boring and doesn't feel exciting or helpful, or a challenge that could be too hot, too challenging, so that it's so far outside of my reach that I'm just not going to do it, versus the just right spot of being challenged and challenging yourself outside of your comfort zone. When you can get into that space of that just right challenge, it's amazing what's possible. And I've seen this over and over with people for the last 15 years is what is the just right challenge that you can take on, that you can expand your growth edges? And again, once you do that, you can keep that process moving. If you have a handout on that, that we can... Yeah, sure. I'm happy to make that available. This virtuous cycle of learning that I'm talking about, and this is a worksheet that I've developed, but basically it's all about setting a goal and then thinking about what people need to seek out, what type of information they need in order to reach that goal. And then how do they apply, actually? So that's the experiment phase. Yes. So figuring out what is the goal, it could be something as simple as make less judgments for on other people when I don't have all the information. Okay, well, what's the information that I seek need to seek in order to apply against that? Well, it might be to start to notice simply are there certain people that I have that behavior with on a regular basis? Maybe I want to read an article about judging. Mm. Otto Scharmer and you theory. But then applying against that goal. And what usually happens in business is that we're so busy running from one project to the next or one goal to the next that we end up completely skipping over the most important piece of this, and that's the reflect stage. So setting the goal, figuring out what do I have to do to achieve that goal, applying, and then thinking about, well, okay, how'd that go for me? If it didn't work very well, might need to reset and go back to get more information or read something and apply again. But it's this virtuous cycle, and we actually talk about virtuosity instead of mastery. Because mastery means that I've got the goal, I've become an expert at this, or I'm perfect at it, and I don't have anything else to learn. But we know this idea of virtuosity is talking about that continuous cycle of learning. And as leaders, we always know that there's something that we can get better at. You know, even inside the logo with TMI, why it's continuous right, that we believe that the journey called leadership is continuous, that mm. we're all evolving. That's one of the reasons why Elaine is with us, that she has expertise and the same belief system that leadership is continuous, right, that right. we're always growing, we're always developing, and it's kind of a mindset built into the core values of what we're doing. As you look at the dynamic around the additional aspects of reskilling and upskilling yes. during a time like this. And what could you share with our 
audience around your experience and because of that, your expectations for leaders and the people around them. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I think this is the perfect time, as we say, upskill for leaders, especially. I'm working with a leadership team right now, and each of the individuals on the team is um, talking about that to me individually, but then also we're talking about it in the group with the team to say, what is it that you need from me that you haven't got from me? And honestly, it can be as simple as and this is something I've heard recently, is that one of the leaders is asking their colleagues to get him information because he's got to finish up with something, let's just say. And one of the particular leaders has not been responding to him. So he's saying, well, I guess I just need to do that myself and it'll be easier for me to do it myself. But those are the types of conversations that actually leadership teams need to be having now is confronting one another when they're not behaving in a way that is supportive of the team and the organization. Um, and the word confronting can just be shifted and reframed to say, we're going to have a discussion about this. And let's stop avoiding those difficult discussions that need to be had because they are limiting us from doing what we need to, and moving forward in ways that are more cohesive and collaborative. So upskilling, let's figure out what's difficult for us as a team, potentially, and what conversations we're not having so that we can actually support one another more closely, more appropriately, more effectively, and get the results that we're really looking for in a new way. And in the resetting phase, are there questions we should be asking ourselves and encouraging our peers and colleagues to be asking about their most effective self? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's who do I want to be and who am I at my best? So I think there are a lot of limiting beliefs that keep leaders from that space, right? That's beyond being the, the name of a business is certainly for helping leaders be more of who they can be. So I think that resetting the questions are really about what have I been avoiding? What might be a limiting belief that I have for myself? And honestly, Mike, in my experience, it doesn't matter whether you're the CEO or leading from the middle. It doesn't matter if you're male or female. Um, everybody has limiting beliefs that keep them from being the best possible leader and human being that they want to be and can be. So I really think there's the word reflect itself says pause. In some places, we have a little bit more time for that right now to say what would really challenge me to be better for my employees and be better for the people that I'm working with, that I care about, that we need to be collaborating together in a solid front. Yeah, one of the things that's been so encouraging with that, Elaine, around accepting who you are and being who you are, one of the questions right now is we're all getting a glimpse into our employees, teams, friends, colleagues, and even our vendors and suppliers' lives, right? We're getting a glimpse in because most of them are working from their home. I can't tell you how many little kids I've seen and 
or cats or dogs that I've heard. Same here. (laughs) So I was on the phone with a friend and relationship in Australia Monday night and her cat was walking uh, (laughs) past the monitor. But, you know, we need to view that as now we're getting a chance to get to know our people, right? And we shouldn't expect our people to show up to work any different than they go home. We need to help our people know that who they are and what they bring is meaningful and matters to us and we care about them and we want them to be who they are. There's a quote, a Dr. Seuss quote, because what would a leadership conversation be without the great Dr. Seuss? Yes. Um, Be who you are and say what you feel because those who mind don't matter and those who matter don't mind, Dr. Seuss. It caught this, right? Accept who people are and help your people know that you accept who they are and you value who they are. And that will kind of unlock this potential to bring out the greatest good and, oh, by the way, the most creativity because you're giving them that freedom. You know, the other thing that maybe tags on to that, Mike, is I think especially for leaders now, there's an opportunity to lead more as a coach. And not everybody automatically knows what that means because some people haven't had a coach or they've had a coach like I have in uh, college basketball or softball. And those coaches that we know generally have told us what to do, right? Because they're trying to help us be better. But that's not how we talk about leader as coach. And it's a shift from the leader telling. So I've got a sticker that says, ask more and tell less, because it's so important, this appreciative approach, to your point, Mike, to get the best ideas from folks, to ask them what their thoughts are, and instead of telling, which sometimes feels more efficient, but in the long run, it keeps us from building capacity of our people. So if we really want our people to know that we care about them, then we're going to ask them how they are, but we're also in the course of the business day, we're going to ask them questions like, what is your goal? What have you already done? What options do you think there are for you? And then how will you activate that? So it's so much more about asking than it is telling. I think what I find with my clients that's one of the most difficult skills, habits for leaders to build because we're just in the habit of telling. Yeah, yeah. I know, and Elaine, you and I have talked about this and we talked about it with TMI, Mm -hmm. with Talent Magnet, the philosophy of being a great communicator is not telling, it's more asking and then listening to the response. Right. Hearing what's being said and how it's being said. Yes. What we need to pick up on regarding to cues to be able to best serve, protect, and help invest in and develop our people. And that comes the freedom of resetting, the freedom of getting out of the norm and thinking about. And again, I talked about it earlier, the innovation. I mean, the best organizations at innovation are the ones that allow their people to feel safe to go and innovate, to truly innovate. And we all need that right now in our business models and our business execution and our team and just innovating. How do we work 
Some have worked remotely for a long time. Some haven't. There's a lot of innovations that can come from remote workplace. And then we also have found with many that are operating as essential manufacturers, there's a lot of innovation that's going on regarding mobile sinks and mobile hand sanitizers and things that, to be frank, probably should have been there before. But no one was ever going to take the time to start creating that. Right. Those on the shop floor. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like you think about that innovation and also leaders trying to capture more time. How do they do that? Well, it's by building their employees' capacity. I have to tell you that one client that I was working with in this training their leaders to ask more and this process of leading as a coach, it can feel really uncomfortable initially for employees because they're used to coming to me as a leader and getting an answer from me, having me fix it for them. But this is a sea change in a way that when employees get used to that process of focusing on goal, the reality options, et cetera, one of my clients said that her employee came into her office and said, hey, I really need your help. I've got this going on and I want some help with the problem. And so anyway, the client said, okay. And the employee ended up walking herself through the process. My client didn't say anything and the employee simply said, okay, thank you. I, I've got this thing. The client didn't say anything. So anyway, where do the ideas come? Well, that employee walked in thinking that they needed help, but they figured it out themselves. And it might even have been a better solution than the leader would have had. Such a powerful example. When you think about the team and reteaming, any Mm -hmm. any thoughts around the phrase and thought process of reteaming? Yeah. Well, if you think about team, that's a noun. And that's more really about who we are, who's on the team what's the makeup, et cetera. So it's not action-based. And the idea about teaming or re-teaming is a verb and it's action-based and it says, okay, what does that mean for us? Do we have the right people on the team? Do we have the right responsibilities and roles? Are they clear? I think that's probably one of the biggest things that I think limits teams at least from a work standpoint, is a lack of clarity. I see this maybe, I mean, I would almost say 100% of the time that teams can create a greater level of clarity. But the idea of how would we move into motion, this re-teaming or teaming as a verb, and what does that mean for us? We need to be asking each other different questions, like what's one thing that, I could be doing differently that would contribute to the health of this team. Asking questions like the five behaviors with Lencioni. What's the level of trust here? And that goes back, Mike, to what you were talking about earlier, is how do I know you as a human being, not just as somebody who's on the team? There's another question about what do I even know about what you do? Maybe we need to start shadowing each other for some period of time to really have a greater level of understanding, which then, oh, by the way, relates to empathy. Mm-hmm. A lot harder to have a disagreement on the team 
once I have a clearer sense for who you are and what it is you're doing and what the impact is on what I'm doing. So trust and conflict are usually the heavy hitters on teams. Quite often, I'm working with teams who have not figured out how to have those difficult conversations with each other. And then, you know, the next layers up are commitment and accountability. And accountability ends up being the most dramatically impacted when we don't have these three things that lead up to it, foundational elements of trust and ability to have conflict, healthy conflict with one another. The accountability ends up going out the door. Mm. And that leader is coach, this coach to lead process that I was talking about previously actually drives two main things. One is empowerment. I'm empowering my employees to think for themselves and I'm holding them accountable. And so in a team, we need to be doing that differently than generally teams usually are. So Elaine, you mentioned earlier, one of the things that we've been doing is teaming up on operational excellence, right? We're going to invest in a lot of operational infrastructure that Frank is a busy boutique 16-person consulting firm, we're spread pretty thin at times to not be able to focus on the customer. Some operational things can go astray. And we happened to the week before the light switch flipped off, we had implemented a new applicant tracking system, which in our business is basically our ERP. And we had just implemented Microsoft 365, literally four days before the Thursday of when things shut down. So we were thrusted into this. Well, now we have no option but to learn this. And then we put a team of people together to say, help us all, help us learn this. So we've been looking at operational restructurings. What are we focusing on? What innovation do we need? What have clients been asking that's been in our parking lot that we can speed up? And then we've also put a team on just customer contact. But again, I'd love to hear some examples of what teams have you created inside your organizations? Or even, you know, Mike, I wonder if just this idea of re-teaming, how are they doing that? Maybe somebody's out there not creating new teams, or maybe we'll say, and they're doing that and simply taking a closer look at the teams they have to do exactly what you just talked about. Yeah, that would be great. In terms of, Elaine, virtuous cycle of learning, you've talked about I think you mentioned earlier virtuosity, is it? Right. Yes. Yeah. So can you share a little bit about that virtuous cycle of learning? Any more information? Yeah. Well, I think it's a matter of starting someplace with that goal. And actually, I think, I don't know if this will be readily accessible for me. Again, how do I keep learning? and uh, do that by setting goals. And this particular vehicle, again, as we call them, is about the fundamental attribution error. And maybe most people have heard of that, but we don't talk about it every day. But it's really about seeing somebody's errors or mistakes as part of who they are and not based on the situation the individual is in. So that fundamental attribution error, I'm attributing 
their mistake or their misunderstanding or their response to them as a person instead of the situation that they've seen themselves in. So this virtuosity, learning more about that, what is your own part in this? And from a vehicle standpoint, if somebody were to take this on, I just wanted to share this with you. The set is just super simple, and the easier you can keep it, as a matter of fact, I use this on the fly with a lot of my coaching clients, and I'm typing in as we're talking. The simpler the goal is, the easier it will be to move through it. And in this case, it's simply learning to recognize situations in which you might be in danger of falling victim to fundamental attribution error. So this is the type of thing that my clients and I would uh, put together. The seeking information, what would I do here? The apply is simple. Just for the next several days, allow the corner of your mind to scan for situations. And then this critical reflection piece. You know, once you do that, reflect on how it worked and what it means for you and the other person. What is it about this particular situation, if I become more aware, that makes me want to judge this person? So that's a simple way, an example, just that individuals can use that sheet or a process. It doesn't have to be this exactly, but I've just found that it's been extremely helpful helping people walk through what it is that they want by starting on that goal and then figuring out how to get there. And two of my clients two weeks ago, day after another, when we did this on the fly, which isn't always the best approach, but versus sitting down and thinking a little bit harder, but it was very helpful. Both of them said they felt like this method or something like this um, help them take those bite-sized steps toward the goal that they wanted to reach. And now they're both gaining momentum because of it. That's excellent. Yeah, and part of our goal in all of these tools, the goal is to invest in each of you so you can go invest in others, right? right. And these tools, as Elaine said, it, it, hey, it's okay if you're not using one of ours, but use something. Yeah to bring clarity and to drive direction. And if you don't have that, then we want to be a resource. But there's so many great leaders and consultants who have models. Pick something and work with someone. I was reflecting, Elaine, last Thursday with my dad. And my dad's been doing this 45 years, right? And as he jokes with me the last five, I'm glad I'm not in your seat anymore. Yeah. He's been through several of these challenging times. I mean, unfortunately, when you say, dad, share with me, you know, the example, I think it's going to be in the last 10 years. And he goes back to the 1980s and then brings me all the way back to today. And each time what he says was most critical is having the right people on your team, both literally inside your organization and advisors that are wrapped around you during these times, right? And we actually reflected in our own business the peaks and valleys that happen about every 10 years. And what we recognize is there's always individuals who step up as leaders and take authority and begin to challenge different thoughts and mindsets that we're like, whoa, where's that coming from? We want more of that. 
And then usually also individuals that you identify, boy, it'd be really great if we had this kind of skill set on our team as we go forward. So there's usually an additional talent add and coming out of downturns, a talent grab for many organizations that we could really upshift. We need to upskill and we can't do all of that internally. We also have to go externally. I think the other thing is sound communication, keeping anxiety as low as you can. And the only way to do that is to be vulnerable and communicate, right? That these are the things we have to do as a leader, as leaders, as colleagues, as friends during this time with all of the people that we're around. But getting the right people on our team, again, as team members or as advisors, navigating through a time like this is the most critical aspect for all of us. You know, like I would share with you exactly what you're saying is a number of my clients actually are taking this opportunity to say, we've had these employees on board for some period of time. Sometimes it's longer or shorter, but we haven't taken the time to really ask the question, are they the right people? Is this the right person that we need as an employee on the team? And some of the folks are taking the opportunity to invite some employees to find a better fit in the next opportunity, which means then they're going to need to figure out exactly what they need an employee, what skills, what mindset, etc. And certainly I know you do that well, but I'm seeing exactly what you're talking about is some businesses are taking that opportunity to ask those questions that they have in the past. Yeah. And I've been telling people, Elaine, on the advisory side, that if you don't feel extra connected to your advisors right now, it's time to choose another advisor, right? No matter what capacity that's in, because they're every advisor like you and myself and our team, our clients rely on us with their business. And I can tell you the questions sound very different. I got a call over on Monday morning and the question was, Mike, who can you connect me with to move a million and a half masks uh, from China? And it was like, okay, hang on. Let me get my bearings. Let me get my, but he said, you were the first person I thought of and I knew you'd have some connection. And the fact that we had the openness to be able to say, hey, I need help. Who do I turn to? All of us should be having that. Who do I help or how I need help? Who should I turn to? We all should be opening ourselves up there. Elaine, do you have a couple of thoughts around additional? There was a question submitted on additional limiting beliefs that you see show up in times like these. Oh, gosh. I hate to say that there are so many of them. Is There's the imposter syndrome. I'm not enough, which is never true, honestly, in my experience. That's huge for people. Brene Brown is a great read for that. So I'm not enough. The other thing I see quite often is people don't feel enabled to make decisions Mm. in the way that they need to be. Really, even people on the leadership team sometimes who are not bringing things forward in the way that they need to be. And I usually couch that in terms of it's your job. Right. I mean, this is what our jobs are. Whether you're on the leadership team or leading from the middle, 
leading from the middles, your supervisor needs to know what you know. So don't hesitate. And you can share this in a way that's uh, important and impactful. I think limiting belief is um, I can't manage conflict. I think so many times all it takes is reframing what the conflict is so that you feel more confident to approach it. Limiting belief is I can't have this discussion with this employee because it's going to blow up on me. Again, practice the discussion and hear yourself say what you need to. And honestly, again, that's true for CEOs down to folks who are leading to the middle. So thanks for asking that question. Yeah, and I love that you referenced earlier in this conversation regarding reframing conflict as a start the conversation. Exactly. I kind of view as you walk into that kind of conflict during a time like this, no one wants to, hopefully, my belief is no one wakes up every morning thinking, who am I going to hurt today? Right. But I think that how we communicate, as uh, one attendee to this discussion described, say what you mean, mean what you say, just don't be mean when you say it. Oh. Right? (laughs) It's a great approach to carry into conflict and conversation. Well, that's where we come back to the three C's, right? The courage, candor, and caring. And if you're missing any one of those, that's what you're going to end up with, right? right? Especially if you're missing the caring from the conversation. I've had one of my clients say before, yeah, I think I was missing the caring out of those three C's. So, What behaviors does a leader exhibit that allows their team to step up? Oh, gosh. That's a great question. You know, again, I think it goes back to the vulnerability, telling the truth, being direct, which sometimes I hear people say, I've heard recently, I need to be more blunt. Blunt is not direct. Blunt doesn't work very well, but direct comes from a place of caring. And um, I'm telling you this because this is a growth opportunity for you and it's not helping you, right? So characteristics are forward thinking. What do we look for from our leaders? We want our leaders to be inspiring. Sarcasm should go out the door because it doesn't align with inspiration. Um, They're generally optimistic in that uh, forward-looking way. Gallup, what our followers looking for, they tell us that they're looking for hope, they're looking for stability, they're looking to be trusted, etc. So those are the things that come up for me right now. I think the other two things, C, C words are courageous, right? Competent and curious. So that's three. I would say that those who are most inspiring really aren't perfect at those things because they don't master, right? They're in this virtuous cycle and they're trying to get better at them. And I think we can all think about leaders we've had, some of the leaders I've had in my past at General Motors or Hill Ram, and who we would aspire to emulate for the behaviors that worked and then for those leaders that we might have worked with who we didn't aspire to follow. Yeah, I think then there's some questions here on empowering employees during this time. I'll add 
we believe that individuals want to experience change, challenge, and growth. Mm -hmm. Don't offer them change, challenge, and growth. They will pick up their luggage and move to the next opportunity. And that's a great opportunity to say, I believe in, I believe in you. And here are the change, challenges, and growth that we're going through. And letting people know that their voice matters, that their personal and professional life is what you want because you want the whole person to show up and you want to help them achieve. I think there's this whole opportunity for us to let people know how much you care for them and they will let you know how much they appreciate you, right? And I agree. You've got them on the team for a reason. You took them through the hiring process. You believe in them and you need them to show up now more than ever. So enable that trust and culture to help them rise up and meet their greatest good. Yeah, I just had this conversation with somebody earlier in the week who was going to have to talk to an employee who was not performing in the way that they had discussed about and set expectations for. And I think the most critical phrase we can tell employees at a time like that is that I want you to be successful. Mm. I've had two circumstances where clients were calling in employees to thank them and recognize them. And the employees thought they were being called in to get fired. So I think it's really important that we continue that dialogue with employees and let them know what we appreciate about them, what's going well, so they can do more of it. We talk about what we appreciate, appreciates. And it doesn't mean we're sending out an email five times during the day to say thank you, but we do know that appreciation of people's strengths, skills, talents, etc., and the more specific we are as leaders, we'll see that double in a return because we're helping engage the employee and also supporting that motivation. Elaine, are there some kind of departing thoughts around reimagining and resetting right now that we can leave with our audience? Yeah, for sure. I think what's the focus on the future and what are our mindsets at this point in time and how can we shift those toward a growth mindset and actually looking for what's going well every day. So this idea of resiliency, how do we help our brains work better getting into our prefrontal cortex? So thinking about forward focus, mindset, what would help me be more resilient? And a lot of that comes from actually studying what's working and even potentially keeping a journal. I invite all my clients to do that. And if they don't like journaling, I just ask them to write it down. But what two or three things have gone well today? Because in the worst possible day, something has gone well. And the more we catalog that, the more positive emotions we build and we start building neural pathways that are different. There's been quite a few comments. I love the thought process around, and we agree that to the change, challenge, and growth component, this is an opportunity that hidden skills show up, Mm -hmm. abilities show up, all of a sudden strengths show up that we didn't know someone had, or they might even surprise themselves is one of the things that I have always found as a leader that when you see the capability in others, 
push them to go get it, right? Yes. And engage them. And if they know they can trust you, you wouldn't put them in a negative place anyway. Right. You see the potential or you see a key characteristic. I mean, tell your team right now during a crisis to, hey, highlight the good. What are you seeing that is a glimmer of bright light from the team that we work with, your peers, your colleagues? Allow people to submit their own thoughts. And again, you've part of this is a culture of trust. You've got to let people know that their voice is meaningful, that you want them to be able to express and bring ideas to the table. It's the only way you're going to be able to set and begin the growth and get on. You know, Mike, maybe another tool, but something that people could use that I have a couple of clients have done before is actually buy thank you notes and keep them in the office in different places so that somebody can simply pick up a thank you note and it doesn't have to be a long drawn out note, but it can simply be thank you for doing X and then drop it off at somebody's desk. It's simple things like that or just a quick email. I noticed you did X. Um, thank you for doing that. And it spikes the oxytocin in me when I send it or write it, and it spikes the oxytocin in the person receiving it. And those are the elements for those. It's the elements of like that that help us get on the offense, that help us break through what's holding us back. And Elaine, I want to thank you for your leadership and your relationship. I know that there's even members on here that are in your WPO, Women Presidents Organization. Oh, okay. The chapter chair. And I thank you for the conversation today very much. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate the opportunity to share something. Hopefully, it'll help somebody who's listening today. And for those who are listening, thank you. We will be providing some resources as a follow up from this conversation. And we look forward to our next conversation, which we're in the process of developing and pushing out. So thank you for tuning in to this conversation with the Talent Magnet Institute on reimagining and resetting for your business. And we look forward to our next conversation. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Talent Magnet Institute podcast. Make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode and help spread the word by leaving a review. The Talent Magnet Institute podcast is powered by Centennial, a talent strategy and executive search firm, and the Talent Magnet Institute. You can engage with us at Talent Magnet I on Twitter or Talent Magnet Institute on LinkedIn and Facebook. Please communicate by using hashtag Talent Magnet. Find us in your favorite podcast app to subscribe, rate, and leave a review, as well as share with a colleague. You can also listen at talentmagnetpodcast.com. Our podcast studio is based in greater Cincinnati, Ohio. We are supported by our listeners, clients, and partners from all over the world. The Talent Magnet Institute podcast is made possible by a great team that includes Janelle Spence and Christine Lewis of Centennial, Josh Chappelle and Adam Smith of Soundpress, produced by Chris Madine of New Fidelity Studios, and Audra Casino and Megan Doherty of One Stone Creative. Music written by DJ Corbett and Chris Madine. And myself, your host, Mike Zippel Jr. 
Thank you for joining us on the journey of developing leaders to succeed in relationships, work, community, and life, reframing success in leadership.